and Happy New Year. I am so excited to get 2019 started for the Improv Teachers. I recently interviewed Kat Kenny, who is the Improv and Education Director for the Bob Carter, I always want to say it wrong, but the Bob Carter's Actors Rep in West Palm Beach, Florida. She's been teaching uh, long form and short form to improvisers of all levels for the past 10 years. She is an amazing, Kat is just an amazing improviser and an amazing human, and we had a wonderful conversation. I'm going to put up her full bio and contact info in the description, as always. Also, a little fun fact, I decided to go to a Chromebook because my MacBook finally died and I didn't feel like spending that kind of money. The only thing missing is some really good audio editing software uh, because of things being web-based. So I'm playing around with some different options. There's options out there. Um, Hopefully this sounds good. We'll see. I'll find out soon enough. And uh, bear with me as I'm 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 learning that. Um, and we'll see how that goes. You might hear my kids in the background. I don't know because this was also recorded in a different location than usual. But for now, enjoy the interview with Cat Cat Kenny. She has a lot to talk about and a lot to teach, and it's a good good interview. And as always, thank you so much. So here we go, Cat Kenny. Stuff, which is um, which is super exciting as well. Awesome. Uh, so I like to start the conversation with: Do you remember the first improv class you taught? Oh, the very first. You know, I do. It was the first improv class I taught was about. 11 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago. And it was a group of about six people. Um, And I remember being so nervous and questioning whether I was (laughs) qualified to do this or capable. You know, I had that fraud syndrome where all of a sudden I was like, I'm nope, everyone's going to find out I'm not good enough to do this. Um, and it was an amazing group of people. And I think the class itself went for like, it was a series class, went for eight weeks or 10 weeks or something like that. And it was a success and I was qualified to teach it despite my my demons and my fear. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy to think about how I felt that very first class because I still get those feelings. You know, there's every now and then I still get those little voices being like, oh, is today the day you forget everything? Is today the day you don't know how to do this anymore? Uh, yeah, we've been on break for two weeks, and I'm pretty sure I don't know anything about improv. <laughs> right. Yeah, me neither. It's a thing. <laughs> it's, it's a real thing. And do you, uh, was it like a, a an intro to improv class, or was it, um, do you, what do you? It was. It was a beginner level. I think I just, um, I you know, because I'm part of Actors Rep Theater in West Palm, and I remember talking to Bob, the artistic director and saying, Hey, I think I want to teach improv. I think I can do this. And so it was a beginner class. It's like a a beginner standalone, not part of a level series or anything like that. And it was, it was like eight or 10 weeks and um, we, it was long form focus. So we would do some short form games uh, as part of the warm up to sort of introduce them to that. But the focus was, um, yeah, long form and the intro to long form and make believe. <laughs> awesome. Now, um, with Actors Rep, has has 
have you been the one who's created all the improv curriculum then uh, all this time? Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about that. How did you, um, how do you uh, put together curriculums? Uh, people seem to have, there seems to be like somewhat of a same thing, but everyone has their own take on how they're um, building curriculum. So for you guys, a couple things are one, do you guys do it in a leveled fashion or did you used to, and you don't do it now? Like what, what is it? What is the curriculum? Let's start there. What does the curriculum look like right now? The curriculum right now is we are not doing levels um, in, in that structure. I will basically offer a 101 level improv class, usually once or twice a year, um, usually more once a year than twice a year, to be honest. And the rest of the classes are standalone workshops because our area is sort of unique in that there's so much improv happening. There are sick puppies who has level classes. There's improv view who has level classes and dropping classes I feel like doing another level series wouldn't quite benefit the community as much. And I think I would also probably struggle a little, a little bit more to fill those classes. So what I do is I will look at what I think is needed. So I will hold workshops with specific focuses. As an example, I did a, a six week improv class on uh, behavior of focusing on the behavior of the characters and that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I will do um, maybe an eight week workshop on game, the concept of game, or I did a three week boot camp on an improv workout on just going through the basics for people of all levels, because a lot of classes take a hiatus during the holidays of the basics um, agreements, context, base reality, uh, character. And so I do, I try to look at what I think is needed and create workshops based on that, which means that most of my classes tend to be intermediate, I would say, is the, the most common level. People with improv experience looking to work certain muscle groups, if you will. Um, yeah. And some of the classes are advanced. Like I did the playful ensemble class about a year ago and that was designed for improvisers who perform regularly and or teach who wanted to get better and I did that class because it's a class that I desperately wanted that didn't exist <laughs> and so we just played with what improv can look like and pushing the boundaries and working personal notes and yeah, so that's a little yeah, bit of what does. my program looks uh, like, if that makes sense. You know, we, we just also shifted to what I call flat curriculum. Um, it's a little bit different uh, because we do um, – because we're just a standalone improv theater. But we, 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 we did get rid of the leveled classes for a variety of reasons, one of which also being the makeup of our community. And the other being I'm really working toward, like, removing boundaries uh, – from getting into improv and I find people with experience the whole idea of level one um, can really turn them away and the other piece being that if you say to a student hey uh, I really need you to be working on x that falls in this class in their mind what they heard was you're not good enough you need to go back to level two and you're already in level five 
Yes. See, I agree with that. Yeah. There's a kind of, some people, most people don't fit into a box. Like I understand having a beginning level improv class because those are basics that we all need to know, right? Here's kind of the, the, the rules of the game, if you will. And we can start playing within that. But I think there are so many people who maybe aren't quote unquote ready for level two, or they move on to level three, but they're still working on level two, or then they're get held back or they're at level four, but they didn't quite master. I think it can be very confining. And I don't know, this sounds so hippie, but I don't know that. Well, learning works like that, that, right? Like you might, you know, like if you're in a math class, you might master uh, multiplication and then you might master some algebraic functions, but you still might be struggling with division. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And also, I think there's something too that happens where you finish the classes, you finish the levels. And in a lot of schools, not all of them, a lot of them, there are opportunities to then audition for a team or what have you. But it's just like, well, you've gone right. through the levels, you're finished. Bye. And that's yeah, it. Yeah. And I uh, see that at a lot of schools too. You and I are, are similar in this way because we're both artsy hippie in that way is that improv is a constant state of growth. So the concept of levels to me also meant like, oh, you're, you've mastered, you're done. And, and if, and if we're, if we're embracing and and teaching teaching the whole concept of continuous growth, then why would I just stop? Right. So like, yeah. So this, the uh, idea of like, for us, it's a focus. Um, So we have three core classes and each class has a different focus and we're constantly changing, even though the focus might say the same, the exercises, the instructors, all that is changing. So you can repeat a level, not a level, you can repeat a class many times or take a class somewhere else and come take a class here and it'll just be a different experience uh, for you. Yeah. Uh, so with that in mind, then how do you go about like, like this one that you just talked about with the ensemble play? Um, how do you go about, cause this I find helpful for a lot of people who are starting out teaching or thinking about teaching of, of creating that curriculum. What's your process? You know, once I kind of decide what I think is necessary, like, okay, I want this class to be here for people who I think are thirsty to be students again. I, I tend to come up with a curriculum that is very loose. I don't sit down and say, okay, here are the eight weeks here's what it's going to look like. I have an overall vision and I'll usually plan the first class and then plan each consecutive class as I go um, so that it's not always set. So even if I offer a class more than once, as an example, the behaviors class, um, that class I think I've offered three different times over the course of whatever, the last eight years, let's say. And that class always looks a little bit different based on who I happen to have in that class, where they are specifically, and where I am as a teacher, because I might find, oh, I used to do this, but I think this is better, this exercise. So my curriculums are very Uh, loosey-goosey. Are you ever having to create curriculum for other people to to execute it, or are you pretty much teaching it for yourself or creating it for yourself to execute it? Um, basically teaching it for myself. Um, I'm the main teacher at Actors Rep for Improv. We do have other people who teach, but I let them come up with their own curriculum. Like Nathan, he's my husband. He teaches and he'll come up with his own curriculum for his classes 
Brian Satorius has done some improv drop-ins and is looking at doing a short form class for us. And I absolutely always go over with them and look at it. But the people who I have teaching, I trust implicitly. And so I'll look over their main view or mission statement, but I'm not and I think part of that is also okay, what's this class? What's this class? What happens the third week? Oh, for sure. Yes. Now, if it were a level curriculum, I think it would probably be a different story because it would matter to me what are these foundations that we are passing on yeah. because someone could go through Absolutely. and uh, I think so miss a big chunk of something right that is I find important as an improviser and teacher. Our approach is definitely unique to the area we're in. Um, the curriculums have like some set exercises and goals that have to be hit. And then there's parts of the curriculum where I'm like, hey, you the teacher, as long as it's meeting mm-hmm. these objectives, like I want them to be able to create characters, you know, whatever the objective is, let them come up with the exercise so that they can infuse their own um, their own personality into it. Yes. Uh, but there, yeah, but there's like definitely things in our curriculum that I'm just like, you have to hit this. So right. that, uh, because we're still again, because it's a standalone improv theater, our casts come from within. And so we all need to be on this working vocab, working philosophy, working skill set together. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that's another benefit, though, of taking away a level class is that the, the, the I'm going to say professor, right. sure, why not? The instructor <laughs> can infuse a bit of their own personality uh, into whatever they're teaching. <laughs> Right, right. And it does make sense at, at what you are saying in terms of a level class. You have to be sure to be like, okay, they should walk away from this class knowing how to create characters. They should walk away from this class having an understanding of the different kinds of edits or what have you. Yeah. Um, and the more instructors you have, I think the more important that kind of criteria is, even if it's a loosely based, hey, get to it how you're, however you'd like, but this, you know, the end goal yeah. is they need to know how to do this. I think it does I, require yeah, a more set curriculum and, and a little bit of oversight having, the more people you have um, teaching. Because otherwise I can get away three from Three to four instructors. I still am running train the trainers at least once a quarter going over things. Um, yeah, still asking them to go out and learn and things like that. Cause I just, it's important that everyone be on the same page when there's certain expectations. Uh, what, how do, what do you think then, um, because you do have some other teachers, uh, coming through, how do you define a good teacher? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, for me, I really, (laughs) um, good job, Lauren. Good, good job. Um, no, really for me, I think a good teacher is someone who leads with empathy and fosters joy while, respecting the art. Um, That's really important to me is that, man, I love improv. I love what we do. And it's a discipline. And the integrity of what we do matters to me. And I can, I sometimes see that taking um, precedence over people's feelings, or the joy. And I think that that's got to be there. I think it's a very, I think it's a very important balance where I'm always going to be direct with people because I'm not here to lie to you, but I'm always going to lead with empathy and this has got to be a joyful experience. Otherwise, what are we doing? So to me, with my teachers, that is something that is very important to me that they, they teach um, with 
yeah. leading with I, that love whole leading with and empathy telling is the something truth. that um, but yeah, I also fostering a, a like joyful that to me is the deal breaker. Um, and yeah, and I think I think it. I don't know if it takes a while or it just needs to be said or maybe it's not said enough. It's also mm-hmm. uh, when people are coming into teaching at first, um, a lot of them are so excited to get the person in front of them to be a performer. And it's backing them up and being like, no, 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 this is a teacher student engagement. Therefore the learner, Uh right. There's a different, um, we're doing something differently because we're dealing with learners. Once they want to become performers, then, um, and not to say that the joy leaves improv. (laughs) It's not Right. Time to get real. Um, but no, but then it's like, you know, now you can <laughs> then lay the fun these is other over. expectations <laughs> on them in terms of like, well, now you're a performer in front of a live paid audience. So here's this. But when you're the teacher and there's this learning environment, especially um, uh, in classes that are geared for just growth, uh, you've got to keep in mind that this is joyful. This is fun. And their approach is not going to look like what you would do in a scene and meet them where they are. Absolutely meet them where they are, because I think it's really important to remember that not everybody wants to perform. Really, a lot of people do not have an interest in being on a house team or doing festivals or being a quote unquote famous improviser, whatever the hell that means. A lot of people just are doing this for for fun. You know, they're, it's a soccer mom who wants to get out of the house and do something new and start to play again. Or it's an actor who wants to get better at improv so that she has stronger auditions or what have you. And yeah, I do. I think that because it's such a hippy dippy art and because we as improvisers, the general whole do lead with love. I think there is a tendency sometimes to just say, Hey, there are absolutely no mistakes and misconstrue that whatever you do is amazing and wonderful. And so that there is an actual growth happening. And the same token is because we all care about what we do. I have been a part of classes and seen classes where I think, why would anyone want to do this? Uh, where there is no joy yeah. and it's about this is right and this is wrong and just take the note. Well, and there so you I go. The people really feel that matter. And that there's no like reason the, the two can't coexist. Of, yeah, the we art have this matters, whole, like, yes, the joy and matters, and people's feelings and matter. Love, which also gets misconstrued into, well, that means I can behave from this place of like misogyny or racism or harassment. Right. And you have to say yes. And it's like, uh, no, I didn't say there aren't any boundaries in improv. Right. Like that's. <laughs> Ooh, girl. Mm. Yes. Now, yes. This is something that I've actually really started addressing at the beginning of all of my classes a little over a year ago. And so I did this women in improv meeting around South Florida a little over a year ago, just to kind of meet with women. And it started just with women to see, hey, what's up? Uh, Do you feel heard? Do you feel seen? Do you feel safe? And it was inspired by a talk that I did at the improv retreat that Tara DeFrancisco and Rance Rizzuto lead um, in Ohio. And I thought, this is really beneficial. I want to do this in Florida. And I was really sort of bowled over by some of the things that I heard. 
Um, and because I respect the, the the people that I play with here in South Florida and know the schools and almost everything that I heard. No, everything that I did hear about was, of course, unintentional and microaggressions that people were not even aware of. But the overwhelming thing I heard were people, some of them veteran improvisers, saying, I am often unclear of when I'm allowed to speak up. Am I allowed to say something during a scene? Am I allowed to say something in class if I'm not in that scene? And I heard this a lot. So something that I started doing at the beginning of all of my classes, and I mean all of them, and I have a lot of repeat students who will take the workshops and they just know it's part of it, is I go over a code of conduct. And it just basically goes over what is expected in class. Uh, I ask people to play the best versions of themselves in class. And that means for these classes, let's steer away from playing misogynists, homophobes, racists, that kind of thing. Avoid hate speech. Uh, Let's not slap, lick, kick, or fondle anyone that if you wouldn't do it in real life, you probably, let's not do it here. And I give people permission to stop a scene, whether they are in it or whether they are in the audience, and that we can talk about it. Um, and honestly, I should catch it. If something comes up, I should I should be the person to address it. And I remind them that if a scene is stopped, how we talk to each other matters. Probably no one is trying to hurt or offend someone else, but because we're making things up, especially in a beginner level class, you know, newer improvisers, we tend to panic sometimes and say things that we would normally never say. Um, and because I've started my classes this way, I want to say I didn't have a whole lot of things happen, but stuff has certainly come up as a teacher that I would have to address when it happened. Things tend to just not happen now because it's been addressed and it gives permission. Hey, this is the goal, right? We might not always meet that goal, but people go, okay, I can do that. And Just by addressing it the first class, I really feel like it takes care of 99.9% of anything that would happen. And if something does come up, I I, I find uh, that people feel comfortable to say something and and that they speak to each other kindly and we get to talk about it rather than just be like, okay, let's stop the scene next without addressing it. They have the right to stop a scene. They have the right to not participate in something, right? Like all of those things are, so we go over that also day one of everything. Uh, They're given a copy. Um, the teachers, you know, are obviously um, given it. I go through with the teachers before they even walk into the classroom. Um, those are things we work on in training yes. trainer of like, because it's interesting. Um, I have a couple of thoughts. One about stopping 99% of behaviors. Uh, so we'll put a pin in that because I agree with you and we'll talk about why in a second. But I, when people are starting out as teaching, they, uh, like you said, that imposter syndrome can be very, um, very real, especially if they're coming from a place of, I just love improv so much that I feel like I have a voice and I want to share it versus, uh, myself. Like I came out of an academic background. So while the content was different and I had to deal with my whole, like, am I good enough improviser to teach this yet? The, the dissemination of information yeah. I was comfortable with because I had been doing that for so long. Um, but, not, but so many people are not trained on how to do that. Cause that's not what they went to school for, what their jobs are and all that. So I think they struggle with like, they'll see something and they'll be like, Oh God, I, I as a teacher should stop this, but I'm not sure how to have this conversation. And if I fuck it up, no, I'm a fraud. And then they don't stop right. what they're seeing. And 
instead, um, but so one of the things that I definitely go over with, with teachers and stuff when we're training yes. is that stop it and have an, and I give them tools to have the conversation, but also if you run into something you don't know, you can be very honest and be like, look, I too am a human. Uh, I don't know the answer to this right now. So I'm going to find out. And when we come back, we're not going to do this scene anymore. We're going to like restart and uh, we'll find a better way to approach it the next time we get together. Right. Man, I like what you said too about some people not being equipped. I was one of those people. When I started teaching, I want to say the first two years, I know that there were scenes I should have stopped and did not because I did not trust myself, because I did not have the tools. And that's something about growing into myself as a teacher. So I knew an, I knew a lot yeah, about improv and, and to teach it and to I mean, all the and check marks, but and my just thing is, as um, important because I'm also even like, more important is that element. And I wish that I had those tools when I first started teaching because it matters. Me too. Absolutely. Um, and and what I have to yes. say to myself, what I think is <laughs> I really have a scene I'm thinking about right that, now from my uh, very first year teaching, and I'm just like, but why did I step in? Yep, yep. I feel your friend. Yep. Um, empathy. We can mess up and still learn from it, and not mess somebody up for the rest of their life, right? <laughs> fear right? that we ruin that person's improv journey because of our inept like yes <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> exactly I mean that's exactly it so oh, that's the, awful um, right I, I don't do you know, make believe anymore because but also like if you look at the podcast <laughs> and talk to Kat Kenny's like, class in 2011 I'm dying I can say <laughs> yeah. that uh, I echo what you're saying when instructors have that conversation at the top of uh, the workshop, the level, whatever it is, if they have that, if they take those 10 minutes to have that conversation and either the institution has uh, given them something or they have thought about it, it will take care of like 99% of problems you will see on stage. Absolutely. Because we want to do the right thing, but we do, we want to, it's, I think it's just not knowing and just having that guideline, I think is even relieving, especially to new improvisers because a lot of people enter this having no idea. They think it's a stand up comedy class. They think it's a Saturday night live. They think it's, they have their own idea of what improv is. And so they will come in with, oh, I got these jokes loaded, or I'm not getting a laugh at this moment, so I'm going to go to toilet humor, or you know, make a and I like to remind them, like, joke you know, or racist joke, uh, and something they would probably never Why do enough? in real life. You know, Why can't this it just be the, reminds the people that we get to be the best version of ourselves, <laughs> not just in character, but as people in this class. <laughs> Preached, yes. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a lot of improvisers who will then ask, well, hey, I have seen shows where I've seen people play racists or, hey, um, well, this exists in real life. Why shouldn't it exist here? And I'll say it absolutely exists in real life and it will come up on stage. And I believe that it should. I think improv is 
a powerful opportunity to speak truth to power. I think that you need to understand how to flip the power it's, and yeah. how to use context. It's, and that's Otherwise, the conversation we're just I have watching like, yep, you're homophobic right. people seen, be like, awful to each other. We're just watching racial and stereotypes happen on stage. Point, and so um, that's a whole other skill set in place that right? goes to with being an improviser. The classes where I learned that was not this particular class, right? In this particular time. Um, and three, the people I'm on stage with also have this skill set, and we work together mm-hmm. as an ensemble so that when something like that happens, because like for me uh, in yes. my main team, right. we like to push those boundaries, but that's because we as a team yes. have had the conversation and work together on how to make it so that it works in front of an audience. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because otherwise, if there's one person who's not in on it, so to speak, it can be cringy. It can be really cringy. And instead of satire about, as an example, Brett Kavanaugh or and most um, students show, you know, sexual assault, right. what have you, and most students show it can no just be conversation. <laughs> a scene about sexual assault. If there's one person who isn't in on that conversation, it it can fall apart right. and hurt your audience. Right. Uh, yeah, and that's um, yeah, it's absolutely it, it's so, Nobody. so right. Uh, They're like, I, okay. I, a lot of times we'll um, ask, like, do you have a definition? Where am I? What was my student? partner's name? But Is I, it time to edit? Like, that's what they should be thinking. That's fine. Instructors <laughs> yeah. have this. Uh, that's it. Right. There is no thing as a difficult student because what happens is the student does something and in that moment we stop and we say, hey, remember those Bill of Rights or those uh, expectations we talked about? That's hitting that boundary. Let's look at why. And then the person's more open to the conversation versus I'm going to push back, I'm going to push back. I also think, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. I, I was going to say, I also think it, it is based on where yep. you're teaching, right? So yep. um, instructors who know that they're teaching absolutely. one of six or seven other level ones that are going no, on I'm in saying absolutely. Yep. have a different mindset and approach at times with those kind of students um, versus the smaller markets, you know, sometimes... I'm not, I'm not. I'm not trying to say like don't go to a big institution at all because mm-hmm. that's not what I'm saying. It's just I think that yeah, it's it's dependent on the market sometimes of whether or not you're going to have that conversation. Absolutely. Like I honestly, I feel spoiled because my classes. You know, I'm creating the curriculum for yeah. all of the classes yeah. that I teach, and they are very specifically if we're focused. And who. Once they, I see who's in that class, I can sort of gear it, in a writer's room. you know, we towards know those people and know who's in the class. Them, it's so much easier to move out of our market, right? It, yeah. So <laughs> I'm disagreeing with when you. When the person yes, who's I, teaching I just, lives in the yeah. market where that's an absolute real thing, it, it can become a different experience for both the teacher and the, uh, and the student. Yeah. So I think, you know, that that plays on that Um, and having talked to instructors at the bigger institutions and and also times are changing. So what worked for these larger institutions 
aren't necessarily working anymore. Right. So, so yeah, I think, um, you know, the same thing with, uh, and, and, and I still think it's helpful for people who are new to this of things like, well, how do you deal with tardiness? Great. Again, on day one, I lay down these expectations no, of absolutely like, not. if yeah, you're late that. and we're already circled up, sit down and I'll invite you into the circle. Right. Absolutely. Yep. That gets covered the first day as well. Yep. Cell phones off during right. class, um, unless you're taking notes and be on time. The first class, I will right. I will wait until yep. people are there. Absolutely. Usually, um, and sometimes that means seven after or 10 after seven who, or, like, you know, most of my classes sort of just, at seven. You know, I'll wait for people. And say, I waited. Class we can go over like, all of this together because it's up. important. What is but your, from here on out, uh, what is your we start at seven. <laughs> and here's what I expect you to do if you choose to be late. Yeah. I do. You know, I've had that happen sometimes. And... I will, sometimes I will talk to them after class and just let them know, Hey, I'd like to talk to you sometime when it's a good time, if you can stay after class or I will call them. Um, yeah, I'll just call them and say, Hey, do you have time to talk? And that's what I'll do. But I I do approach them individually. Yeah. And so often I'm convinced it has something to do with the class and nine times out of 10, it doesn't. It's amazing because, you know, just something that's happening in someone's personal life. with a family member or, you know, loss of a job or that kind of thing. And sometimes it is the class. There have been times where someone says, you know, um, what you don't know is so-and-so in right. class. So this like with that kind of situation. Recently-ish um, is a very nice say, person. Yeah, let's but say But I am not comfortable uh, around I, him I because know, I feel like he talks over me but in that situation or he's where, like, aggressive. Like, yeah, you wouldn't know this you know, because you've never conversations had a class before. I've taken classes with experts before. And I always recall because you never know. How do you – to me, that's tricky because like the fixer in me wants to be like, no, come to my class and I will fix those problems. Right? <laughs> like, but also they may really not want to fix it. They may be like, no, I just don't want to ever be in the same room with that person again. Um, yeah. So what would you say to, would you, what would you say to that person? Well, I have had some people just let me know, hey, I won't be taking this class because so-and-so is in it. Um, And I'm very quick to say, well, is this something that I just need to not have this person in class? Because that's my first priority. If, if, If one person feels this way, chances are other people do. But if it is something that absolutely isn't um, a red flag or even a yellow flag, it's just like a personal interrelationship dynamic thing, I will tell them to do whatever they think is, you know, makes them comfortable. But I usually encourage them to come to the class. And I'd say most of the times it's successful because what I will do is I will give the note to that person without giving it to that person directly. Like, hey guys, I know that sometimes you're trying to be supportive when you do this, that, or whatever, but it's actually coming across as giving a note to your fellow actors. And remember, we do not do that. So even though it comes from a good place, let's not do that. Or I, I, I like that well, you are going no, over what so-and-so I, I just said, but she covered uh, it. And I, I know sometimes I we have, an example, we have a tendency to like, you know, do A, B, or C. That's not necessary here. So sometimes just by addressing hey, that person George, kind of as the group after it happens, because really, that behavior shuts George down. George is the one doing it. It actually has makes sense. I feel like I said that in the most confusing way possible. You're welcome. It's an opportunity to be like, hey, class, 
keep in mind the following because this is the impact it can have. And I also think that goes back to um, what the expectation and objectives of the classes are, right? So if I'm teaching a class where this right, is a and I'll do it after George has stage, done it, but then it's not my, pinpointing George. Um, it's like, hey, this has happened before or may come up notes again. Just a teaching moment. Yeah, feedback and correction and teaching might look different than the objective of this class is for us just to tap into the joy and be able to dig into creation and adaptability. Um, yeah. And, and that's why I'm a big proponent of um, when people say, oh, I, I have an idea for a class that I like to teach. Great. What is the absolute objective? Because, you know, I've had people be like, oh, I'd love to teach a class on characters. People love characters, right? Like, I just want to teach a class on characters. Okay. Well, I know like, 30,000 other people who teach characters. What is your goal with this? Um, and so when you go to create your workshop or your class, knowing what you want the person to do in that two minute scene helps you as a teacher give direct and immediate feedback, right? Um, yeah. Just knowing that I want them to be a character doesn't help me. Like, I want them to use their body at the top of the scene to inform their character. Yeah. That helps because that person doesn't, I can correct one thing mm -hmm. versus giving them a 30 minute lecture on the importance of being yourself in a scene. <laughs> right. Oh, and isn't that a, yes. Isn't that a big thing too, is that I've had to work on as a teacher over the last 10 or 11 years is figuring right. out how much of my time is spent actually correcting and just talking. Do you know what I mean? Like over talking, I think is a very big thing that a lot of improv, improv teachers do probably teachers of all sorts. And that has been a lesson for myself is that maybe these people don't need a dissertation on using your spine at the top of a scene maybe you can just let them know <laughs> what is ex you know what right, you're looking for what the goal is yeah, at the top is, of the exercise um, and then just something as easy as change your spine that what we said just give me something just stand like in a different way right, improvising right, on go, stage. whatever we're nervous um, what we said yeah, isn't enough is a, and we need to i think a big thing because we get all lofty and have all these wonderful um <laughs> all these wonderful thoughts and meanwhile, George and Rebecca are, yeah. Me too. So when people say to me, oh my God, it's really hard. How do I get this done in two and a half hours with 16 people? I have to just stop and be like, okay, where are they in their teaching journey? Because absolutely. And uh, give I me two and a half know, hours I know that I did that when I started teaching a without a doubt. It would take class. me 20 minutes to do yeah. something I can do in a minute and a half. But that's now. also because I have all this if other um, experience of knowing what works and what doesn't as a teacher. The other thing I think we do when we're new teachers is we talk a lot because we're cementing our own philosophy and we haven't, yeah. And we haven't verbalized it yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's just like <laughs> writing a first draft. So we're writing this first draft, but we're doing it in front of a classroom and our editing is the years of classroom teaching experience that we have. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. 
Right. Yep. And there are times when I definitely think there's times when we have to give the background of like where, like you said, like the dissertation on why your spine should be this way. There are times and there are people who are hungry for that information. No, I think that's dead on. No, absolutely. But knowing yep. when is, is also one of those yes, this is what I believe. I don't want to go back and scratch that. Let me just say that out it's loud. Hard yeah. To know like, okay, I can take the next 20 minutes to give you guys my, my whole thing on like character creation from the spine versus uh, change your spine. Right. Right. And I think it makes a difference when, if you are going to have a dissertation, I love that we're doing that, right? A dissertation in class. If we are going to have that, if it's information that we need, we should go over so they understand what we're doing. I think when that happens in a class is huge because I can tell you when I first started teaching, I remember being painfully aware that I would get people up. We'd be warmed up. Yeah. We'd do a, a so, quick montage um, and I'd say, okay, here's what we're working on. Movie, and people uh, would be sitting for 20 uh, minutes um, instead of there, there is something that needs to so be addressed. I will get them up Let's do that. I'll do some stuff, but I will say to them, so that tonight we're is going to be a bit lecture heavy. You know, because I've got to teach you Okay, everyone, make yourself comfortable. Angles. Aren't you glad I've you warmed up? You make yourself shots. comfortable for a half hour or whatever. Man, i got to teach yeah. you vocab. So let's get through this together, and then we'll get up on our feet and do it. Because uh, there's just no way around mm-hmm. it in certain formats. Whereas if there are things that um, I need addressed, it's probably better to address it when it happens in the moment because it's because those what if scenes from students is such a time sucker. And the other thing that I either, I don't know where I was reading or what, but it's easier for a student to talk about the what if than getting up and doing it because um, it takes less it takes more risk to get up and fail than it is to talk about what if I fail. Uh, because especially in improv, right? Cause there's so many factors. So my answer to your what if question may not be what you actually need to be doing in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've started addressing that too. So uh, when those what if questions come up, I'll say, you know, it's a great question. Let's save it for when it happens. Let's save it for when we get there and we'll address it then. No. Yeah. Absolutely. It's going to change. There is no, there's no zero right. tolerance or there's no, what's the word? Of, well, I mean, and the, it's, the, the and it can be frustrating for. when you're a new There's no absolutes. I, I honestly believe uh, that. We'll say even something if it's like, well, like, you should never do this. I'm very cautious of the like, words like, always and right never in improv. Right? I don't think they apply. Um, so I keep that in mind too, because I get a lot of beginners. And probably. So, when sure. I have a lot but of always and never, there's always going to be an exception to like that night. Always. Tonight, always, always, never. <laughs> you are to do the following in this exercise. If you don't, I will correct you because I'm teaching something and I need you to learn it. And the way you learn is through repetition. And I need you to follow the repetition, right? Um, yeah. So it's also knowing as a teacher, knowing, again, going back to like why it's important to know what your outcome and objective is, not just for the class, but if it's a, a multi-week class, right. each each night you're meeting. Yeah. Yes. And I've started addressing that in classes where I'll say, just so you know, what we're working on tonight is A, B, and C. That is our focus. And so that is 
that is what I'm going to correct and what we're going to focus on. And next week, it will probably be fine if you don't do A, B, and C. Because tonight, think of it as a gym. We're working these muscles. We are working these muscles. But next week, you might be working the other muscles. And just to remind them, um, and I will that end whole, the class like, saying, and absolutely. remember, also, I'm not saying it's not um, okay to me, have conflict, because I believe I that conflict give, um, uh, in a scene can be done beautifully and is captivating. It's improv? how we fight. So, when so I'm not saying at, don't fight. Um, That's just our focus tonight. And so that keeps people from uh, down summer, the line going, but I thought you I were had, never um, allowed to fight I thought you were always supposed to. Student, yeah, I try to lay that as we were doing. My thing was all about like whether you add or edit from a scene. And she's like, okay, so I want to review some things with you. So she's like, so there's these rules of don't. And she's like, name five don'ts. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to stop you. Because first of all, I don't prescribe to that philosophy. I don't believe there's any don'ts. Instead, let me give you a bunch of things you can do. Because how does it, when you're under pressure of performing in a scene without a script, how is it any good for your brain to go through a bunch of things you shouldn't be doing? Versus your brain being like, here are all the things I can be doing. Um, Right. Yes, because if, yes, if you stand in that back line and you think, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. First of all, the only thing that's going through your head on repeat are the things you shouldn't be doing. And I think instructors, especially younger instructors, newer instructors, are very quick to say, as an example, and like you said, giving actionable don't negate. Don't that I fight. can take away. Well, how do you make that an actionable so when note? I'm under pressure it's exactly and what you're saying. What can I do instead? Tell me not what to is the, I can tell what is the action I'm, I'm taking if I'm, I'm not saying no? Yeah. Um, tell them what yeah. you can be doing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's all those kind of things. Um, so uh, <laughs> I definitely think that. Uh, being a female leader and a female instructor um, has informed a lot of what I do. Um, do you feel that's been your experience? Yes. Uh, or even as, I mean, as an education director, as uh, someone, you know, a voice in their community. But yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, this is the teaching podcast. So yes, I'm teaching. But I think large, uh, most of us who are teachers also have other roles. So I think it's hard to sometimes untangle that. Yeah, it's absolutely, I'm very aware of things that happen to me that I see not happen to my, my male colleagues, if that makes sense. And not to be like, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a woman and I'm not respected. I am respected and that's wonderful. But there are things that I'm just aware of that I get over-talked in class. I will, I will have things explained to me. Um, perhaps you meant it this way. I have a couple students who will rephrase a note I've given who are male to other people. Or they will, they're more likely to question me. Um, than they are some of my male colleagues and teachers. It's it's fascinating and infuriating, and I've started to right. to to call people out on it, not in anger and not in a, a shameful way, but in that "Hey George" <laughs> kind of way. Yeah, I know sometimes oh, yeah. you know there's a there's a want to repackage what I said, probably so that you can process it, but trust. 
that my word, yeah. <laughs> my words and my notes are, are they're, they're going to be understood, you know, when it really becomes a problem. Um, yeah, yeah, things, it's, it's a real issue. And people, I think, would be shocked to learn that they are doing it. And it's not just male students, it's female students as well. Um, I'm less likely to be believed, less likely to be trusted on what I say. I get questioned more. Um, yeah, my I time, mean, I could be I think too, but not I see my male I don't know if this is something that you uh, experience, but I love talking to my students. I, I genuinely do. And I say I'm available. You can email me. You can message me. You can text me. You can call me. I'll get back to you But maybe it is because I time before or after a class is a given in a way that I don't see happening. I could be wrong with this is my experience with my so male maybe, counterparts. Maybe it is me. Um, but, like, oh yeah, but I, I for for sure have seen right. like I'll be like, okay, guys, we need to circle up, and like no one's listening, and then a male, whether they're uh, someone within, whether they're a student or like someone who's also in our community, be like, hey guys, we need to circle up, and all of a sudden yes, shuts I'm up. A nerd. Like, you I know love what? it. Fuck yes. All like inside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Time for self reflection on my part as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Part of it. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. I've had that happen a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And part of that is my being responsible for protecting my own time because the truth is, like you, I live for this. I love talking about it. I want to answer your questions, no, and I want yeah, to, and it goes to talk into a bigger, about what happened in class or about thing the show or philosophy, right? so then improv, philosophy, what have you. Um, um, and so, so a lot of this is just really taking responsibility and being more I've protective just, of my time. Years and of saying, this condition. Right, I love you guys, but it's time for me to go. I love you guys. We'll continue this later. I got to get home. And still. Sometimes so it, that's not enough. Um, I am learning to and I know some of the stuff that I've dealt myself with. If I was a male, <laughs> enough to respect my time and my energy. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Lauren, it's true. Uh, a man saying something and putting his foot down is authoritative. A woman doing that is a ball buster or a bitch. Yeah, and I, I, um, I, I can just feel that there yeah, will be some people listening that, to this who um, roll their eyes and go, "No, no, it's a yeah, very in, real in the class, thing." Like, and just like we're not aware necessarily ways, though, of um, why we feel what we feel, some, like, like guilt there's also been over really something like that. About me I guarantee you that the people the person who's in charge don't realize of they're doing it. It's a cultural thing that's just been ingrained also from the community. That is and more we just we get to start to be aware of it because more, that um, isn't a good enough reason not a bunch of for me or for anybody else. Uh, which I find, you know, for me, uh, for me, that's a more interesting, fulfilling show to watch than, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it it is. It doesn't matter how quote unquote woke we are, if you want to, right? It doesn't matter how well intentioned we are. If we have the same kind of person representing all people on stage, that's narrative is always going to be told through that filter and that point of view. Um, I, I think it's very important to have different points of view represented people of color, LGBTQ plus 
women, different types of people of color. And that's something that I have really been focusing on here that I have struggled with is one of the things I really want to do is have an LGBTQ plus improv group. And I know that I have the interest and I do not have somebody to coach it. And I'll be damned if I'm going to coach it. I have no business coaching that team. We do the, not the need more Kat Kenny point of view. We do not need another straight female woman. Not getting the voice uh, female oh, woman out there, that, right? So yes, it's a that's very repetitive. Difficult... <laughs> yeah. Redundant. Um, um, but we don't need that because we already have why, that. And so like, I had a couple of last things that was going to happen with a female identity. Like why, I think a lot of women have should just start coaching it and then wait till you find a coach. And I refuse to do that. So that we can then open it more. I want to do it right. Otherwise, it's not straight. It's not really LGBTQ group. But it's not just a white straight women but it also makes like in some ways makes sense that this woman is running the class because this woman happens to have these credentials you know and then hopefully yeah it's it becomes um i know it becomes a difficult it's a difficult road to navigate um and i'm definitely not equipped to even uh, tell people what to do on that um i I'd much rather listen than uh, right. talk on that subject. Um. That's yes. I've, I've been li- literally, that's what I've been doing is trying to just uh, start conversations and elicit, elicit input from, from people who are not me, from people who are uh, identify as LGBTQ or people of color and say, Hey, you know, let's talk. <laughs> And really just try to listen more. It's sort of a catch-22 in that I, I have heard people say, well, right. you know, I had a friend of mine say, well, maybe it's just, you know, something that people of color aren't interested in. And I, I about spit on my beverage because I, I don't think that's true. I think there's something about saying we're an open club. But when you go to an improv show, are you represented? If you go to a few improv shows and you're seeing no one up there on that stage who looks like you. And for a long time, I think this applied to women as well. And that's changed. You think, well, this is really something for, for white guys, (laughs) or this is really, if there's no one up there that looks like you, do you want to be a part of that? Are you inclined to be a part of it? And I've had friends say, Hey, I went to this show and man, I I was kind of turned off from it because there was everyone was was white or everyone was a man. And so people aren't interested to foster an environment that is inclusive of all people, but just opening your door welcome everyone there's no doesn't do it yeah i think a lot of times i've had conversations with my colleagues who say well i just don't think the wrench sticks are not coming and i i vehemently disagree with that (laughs) i don't think yeah so it takes it takes effort and then you and that becomes difficult because especially if you're in a smaller community and i'm not saying don't do it Uh i'm saying that it becomes harder because you're already wearing so many hats and now the manpower, the person power to go out into communities and introduce this crazy thing um, can be quite difficult, especially if you're not, especially if you're not even willing to try. Uh, Yeah. And you're going to fail. Also, you're going to reach out to a community and they're going to be like, go away. 
and you have to keep <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people's egos get in their way. They're like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. My time is worth money. I shouldn't just have to go out. You are absolutely right. Your time is worth money. But this entire community over here has no idea, has no idea. So swallow a bit of that and figure out right. how you can get them included. Yeah. Um, and also, if you are doing it, kudos to you. Give yourself a break when needed because <laughs> you can also burn yourself out. Yeah. No, you're right. It's absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. It's, it's not. Right. And it's not going to happen in three weeks, right? Like it's, it, it takes time to build. Uh, and I'm still not the person to really be talking on this. So like, uh, right. still not, I'm still not. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do you do to yeah. keep yourself, um, yeah, then you're not good to any both like keep yourself excited about teaching and keep your skill sets, um, sharp. <laughs> and it is, that's like a whole nother podcast. That's like something we could, you're right. Like this is a whole nother thing we could talk about for, <laughs> for an hour. Yeah. To keep myself excited about teaching, um, one of the things that helps is I do teach many different things. So I do teach acting to like kids and teens. I teach audition prep for our local area schools and I teach different kinds of improv. So when I do these workshops, that's for me as much as them. Uh, I see, okay, what is needed? So I'm not just repeating these levels. So I do get excited about the different classes that I'm teaching and that helps tremendously. I also take a break in the summer. I uh, usually cut back on my improv in July and August. Like I don't have any theater shows in August. I'll do fests or whatever. If there's something like we did the countdown fest in August last year, but I, I think it's good for me to miss it a little bit and go back to it. And so, and it's also, it helps build community. I will say, listen, I'm not teaching any classes in August or July, but please go check out this school, you know, go check out these people, because I honestly believe that we should not be hoarding students. We should be encouraging them to take from as many different people as they can, who know what they're doing and who are good at it, because they might hear the same thing a different way that clicks. They'll always get a different point of view. They might hear something in complete opposition to what I've been teaching, but if it works for them, who cares? I do think there is a fear associated with why we get intimidated by students going other places, which I do see a lot in the improv community as a whole. Um, so that's something, that's a whole other topic. Sorry, that's important to me. But I think for me, how I keep myself sharp is I love taking workshops and classes. I, I adore being a student and I learn something as a teacher and I still learn something as an improviser, even if it's a class that I know maybe a class that I have taught my own version of. It's amazing how often I go, oh yeah, I haven't, um, I did let that go. Or I don't well, do this anymore, do I? Let's look at that. Or I get uh, something I would also as say, an instructor, yeah, cool. I don't which is very valuable. But I am a huge proponent of 
taking classes and workshops. And I have some friends who say, no, I paid my dues and they're not wrong. That's, that's, that works for them. For me, I love immersing myself (laughs) in the world of being a student, whether it's the IO intensive in Miami for a week, whether it's a David Rosowski workshop for six hours, or it's an hour and a half workshop at a fest. That is very valuable to me. Oh, preach. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm a little turned off by the idea of I'm finished learning, especially with an an art like improv, because we touched on this at the beginning of the podcast with the level classes. And I don't know that I, I voiced this, but there is something where if you get people who do level classes and stop, and that's your experience. That's like saying, okay, so I know the formula. I'm not going to play with the numbers. Where improv in and of itself is a changing art form. It should be changing. It shouldn't be static. And so I think there's a danger to saying, oh, yeah, okay, I've taken levels one through five. Right? Because then I know the basics and I'm done. What it's like that to be can in lead to so when you cut or improv. Or again, that can lead to this is what improv looks like. We come out, we take a suggestion we do an organic opening or what have you. And this is improv and this is what it will look like. Where we're supposed to be pushing the boundaries. And you know how we do that? We do that by getting uncomfortable. We do that by putting ourselves in a position to be vulnerable. And I think that's really good for teachers too, is to remember what that's right. like to be a student. Um, where can, you know, uh, I think it's a great it, place it like we've not, come full circle. Yeah. So where can people find you if they want to find you? if it's not an improv class, take a class in something that you, that you are not proficient in. I think that's valuable. Take a dance class and go, Oh shit. I am a beginner. I'm getting my ass kicked at this drop in class for hip hop or whatever. But I think it's so valuable to, to put yourself out there and just remember in the very feeling sense (laughs) rather than just in your head. Um, I have, well, I'm on Facebook. Cool. So, yeah, thank um, you. Uh, I have any, my Cat Kenny Improv page and I post uh, my classes my there, but actorsrep.org is the website for the theater. And that's where you can find most all of my classes. Yeah. They can also call me. I'm lonely. They can send me a letter. Um, awesome. you know. <laughs> Talk to me before or after class. You know what I'm trying to leave? Yeah. <laughs>